Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, your host. With us today is military author, game designer, and the editor of Strategy Page, Jim Dunnigan. Welcome, Jim. Thought we'd talk a little bit today about nuclear proliferation or non-proliferation or whatever the term you want to use. Because we talk a lot about North Korea and uh, Iran and like that, I think it'd be a good thing to remind our listeners who else has nukes or who is aspiring to uh, having uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, Let's start off with the... uh, the signers of the uh, non-proliferation treaty that have uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, if you want to talk about them for a little bit, and I, I think you know we've got the United States and the Russian Federation and China, but we uh, often we don't talk about the United Kingdom and France and w- what their status of their nuclear weapons is and and uh, why they keep them and why do they don't just rely upon the United States. Well, the uh, Britain and uh, France had uh, similar but different reasons for having their own nuclear program. One, it was partially national pride. Both countries had been, you know, major powers for a long time, uh, and uh, this and France, of course, uh, you know, was suffering from uh, uh, how should I put loss of prestige. <laughs> they had been occupied by the Germans. They lost all their colonies, Vietnam, etc. And it was just, and plus they they got they left NATO, so they were on their own, and they felt they needed an independent uh, deterrent. So they built uh, ballistic missiles and some uh, submarines that carried uh, SLBMs, um, and they're barely hanging on there. You know, it's expensive, but they they again national pride. Uh, they maintained the force. Um, Britain actually has a harder time because, again, they did not want to depend upon the United States. Again, it was partially national pride. Um, they felt that they would have a, 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 how should I put it, a stronger voice in world affairs if they had their own, you know, nuclear retaliatory capability. Now, both those countries were aiming their stuff at, uh, at Russia which was the big threat until the Cold War ended and then 15 years later it revived again. But anyway, the, um, the main you know, powers here were uh, Russia and the United States. The United States had it first. Many books have been written about you know, the nuclear monopoly the United States uh, basically had for, in practical terms, about 10 years. We've lost it, actually, you know, uh, much quicker because once the Russians uh, detonated their nukes, we said, oh, my God, game over. But as it later uh, developed, as we found out, especially after the Cold War, uh, Russia really didn't have a, uh, a, 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 a nuclear threat uh, until the mid sixties, um, which is a lesson right there, because it goes to show you that uh, nuclear weapons are more threat than reality, but they're a very effective threat. You know, uh, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, certainly worked on the Japanese, and people are still arguing over whether or not it was worth it. But again, I, as being someone who had uncles and and uh, a father and what had who had been in the in the in the war, I had several relatives who uh, basically saw their lives being saved by, by 
kit by setting off those two nukes and basically halting the, the invasion of Japan, which would have been a bloodbath, more so for the Japanese than the Americans. Uh, so we often lose sight of that fact. We also tend to lose sight of the fact that because of the nukes, there has been no major war, you know, no, no war between the major powers uh, for the longest time uh, in modern history. I think the record was 84, 86 years, and, and we, we basically, uh, you know, crashed through that. Um, uh, and uh, the, uh, the nuclear peace, again, is something that's contentious. But, hey, you know, it's there. Uh, you're not going to get rid of it. And uh, that's one reason why China, you know, joined in the, uh, in the 60s. Uh, they felt that Russia was a threat. Russia was indeed a threat. Because uh, there was, uh, how should I put it, active hostilities between Russia and China in the 70s. And there were actually a few skirmishes. And it, it later came out that the Russians had asked us uh, in the 70s, uh, while we were talking all kinds of arms control you know, deals, uh, would it be okay? Well, we'd look the other way if they kind of nuked Russia, China into, uh, you know, submission. Uh, and we basically said, mm, that wouldn't be a good idea, if only because the uh, fallout would be blowing towards us, not towards them. Um, the, uh, the other countries that have since gotten them did so reluctantly. The Indians uh, were considered themselves the, uh, the largest of the, uh, the neutrals during the Cold War. Actually, they weren't very neutral. They were quite socialist. I mean, they were a democracy. You got to give them that. Uh, but they uh, they basically lean towards Russia. Uh, they're still buying Russian weapons, although they're getting away from it because they finally realize the Russian weapons are crap. Um, and uh, they uh, they basically uh, created their nuclear weapon in the seventies, uh, but tried to keep it quiet. Uh, the Pakistanis found out and freaked out, uh, and they had a, a, a guy named Khan who uh, was was in charge of the begging, borrowing, or stealing the technology and uh, building a nuke. And they did, and they basically again kept it quiet. But then the, uh, the the Pakistani military. This is something we cover in strategy page all the time, but it's important because India and Pakistan are the two countries where there's most likely to be the next use of nuclear weapons. Um, and it's basically because, well, you can read stretch page, we cover it, you know, regularly. But basically, the uh, the Pakistani military has uh, has done everything they could to make India out to be a threat, which India isn't. All you have to do is read Indian newspapers, which a lot of Pakistanis do, and they say, well, what's going on? Uh, but that's a story unto itself, which we've been covering, because the Pakistanis uh, basically came clean. They, they held uh, a very public uh, nuclear test, as did India, after they had, they had triggered uh, another war on the border, which they lost. Um, and uh, from that point on, the Pakistanis had made a big deal out of their nuclear arsenal. Uh, much to their chagrin, uh, India has since turned its, uh, you know, its nuclear targeting away from Pakistan and towards China. They're building longer-range ballistic missiles, and they've made it quite clear to the Chinese who they see as the greater threat, the real threat. Um, 
that if uh, there is a uh, a major war with uh, between India and China over you're basically trying to claim large chunks of Indian territory. But again, that's another story we cover regularly. Um, uh, it might go, you know, India's ultimate defense is to you know threaten them with uh, nuclear uh, weapons. The other major powers, except for Russia, uh, have never really made any threats, you know, since the uh, so the Cold War ended in 1991. Russia has made threats, but that hasn't worked because basically it only draws attention to the nuclear weapons program, which is in sad shape. In fact, there's a problem with both the United States and Russia is both of them have huge um, stockpiles of nuclear weapons. About you know seven six seven thousand each, um, but because of the uh, the uh, the disarmament treaties, they are, and 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 the and the next the latest version of START goes into effect this year. Um, they have basically uh, we have agreed to have a certain amount of nukes actually ready to go in service, as it were, and we have uh, we have rules which have been basically followed for. You know, uh, several decades on basically uh, verifying that. So it, it's a it's a pretty good deal. It doesn't get much publicity because you know uh, success. <laughs> good news doesn't make you know ratings. Um, but that has worked. But something else that doesn't make a lot of ratings is neither country, especially Russia, can afford to. How should I put it? Keep their nuclear weapons inventory current. In other words, their arsenal. Uh, is, uh, is is fading away, literally, uh, much quicker than the United States. Now, the United States also is under a lot of pressure. Uh, there are several proposals before Congress, you know, to refurbish nuclear warheads. Uh, and it's, it's a multi-billion dollar a year operation just to keep these uh, nukes alive, so to speak. I mean, they have, they have mechanical, electronic, and chemical uh, components, which degrade with time. Uh, and uh, you basically have to maintain them, and that costs a lot of money. Um, and uh, there's also questions about, you know, are the uh, are the are the older designs we're using uh, still effective, or could they be more effective? Uh, so there's there's a lot of pressure to say, hey, let's spend tens of twenty you know, billions more to refresh our stockpile, but that would trigger, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a refurbishment race uh, with Russia, which really can't afford it. Now, thank God, nobody's, you know, in, in the government has put that forward as, hey, let's do it again. No, 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 no. Russia is unstable enough as is uh, for reasons of its own. You know, it's turned into another dictatorship, unpopular internally, et cetera, et cetera. It's got and many sanctions on it, but we all know the story. But anyway, they, they are still very much a nuclear power. Um, China, of all the, of the, of the five, you know, uh, uh, NPT members, uh, or this, what was it, one, two, five, yeah, is probably a, one of the, the most responsible, even though they're considered dangerous, because they always maintained a low inventory of nuclear weapons. Uh, Chinese, you got to give them credit. They're a lot more practical. Well, they're still a dictatorship, but then they've always been a dictatorship. Uh, and uh, and they basically do the math, and they realize, look, we don't need a lot of nukes. Uh, the Russians aren't going to mess with this unless we threaten them, which they're not doing, and the Russians appreciate that because China also has claims on most of Far Eastern Russia. Uh, and uh, the uh, the countries we have to worry about, like I said, are, are the are – the, uh, 
people who have nuclear weapons but are, how should I put it, unstable. Uh, North Korea is the most feared because uh, they have literally been a, a, a gangster state you know, for decades, especially since the Cold War ended and they lost their subsidies from Russia, which people underestimated, but that's what was keeping them alive uh, for many decades. Uh, and of course, in addition, their own, you know, uh, how should I put it, uh, irrational uh, a form of uh, economic uh, policy uh, was not making things any better inside North Korea. And uh, it's now getting worse. And we believe that it's driving North Korea to the, uh, you know, to the to the to the negotiations. Uh, but again, uh, the uh, uh, the idea that having nukes can make a, shall I put it, a gangster state, an aggression, you know, a, a very aggressive state. Well, basically, we're talking about North Korea and Iran, both of them have openly said they, they want to attack their neighbors, they want to basically, you know, destroy, well, destroy Israel in the case of uh, Iran. Uh, even before they got the nukes, uh, North Korea was an enormous threat to South Korea, which had the misfortune of, uh, of having their capital city within range of North Korean rockets and artillery, even before they got nukes. And, uh, you know, the nukes didn't really change it much uh, for uh, South Korea because, you know, for decades, uh, especially once they got, uh, how should I put it, uh, rich, uh, starting in the in the 80s, uh, their economy took off big time. Um, and uh, at that point, they realized that their their biggest enemy was the uh, the threat of uh, North Korean conventional artillery and rockets, um, which the North Koreans took full advantage of trying to extort, you know, money and other, you know, freebies out of the South Koreans and anybody else who would basically succumb to that sort of thing. The North Koreans seem to believe, well, I mean, basically, this is this is their public policy in North Korea, that if we have nuclear weapons, you know, we can basically get what we need, uh, which to the neighbors means... We're going to restore your butt, you know, as much as we can. Uh, now, our current president, unlike his predecessors, has said, no, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to give in to the extortion. Uh, we don't negotiate with terrorists, as the saying goes. Now, that's dangerous, but basically it's worked. I mean, you know, North Korea has been, been going, you know, boo, you know, for decades. And people have been jumping. And finally, we got, you know, a government in the United States that says, we're not scared. Uh, you know, what can you do? Uh, because, you know, you attacking North, South Korea or anybody else with conventional weapons or your nukes, which again, uh, well, I guess that in a second, uh, is suicide. Because the, 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 the counterstrike, even if it's only conventional, will basically, you know, wipe out the current government. And we've made it clear that any counterattack on North Korea is going to specialize in the, uh, the senior leadership, uh, which is, is done on purpose because we know from the thousands of uh, people getting out of uh, North Korea at the risk of their lives, um, is that the, the government is very unpopular. I mean, a lot of people believe in it, like, you know, you believe in a religion, believe or else, as it were. Um, but, you know, uh, Kim, I mean, you know, we've been reporting this in Strategy Page. There's more and more anti, you know, government graffiti, which was unheard of 10 years ago. 
but now it's common. Uh, people are, including you know, the children of the of the you know the the one percent, as it were, who run the country, uh, are openly defying the government. Uh, and there have been more and more high-level defections, um, and it's very disturbing, you know, for the government because they under, they realize what happened in, especially in uh, Romania, and at the end of the coal in 1989, and in Libya in 2011, when very unpopular dictators uh, basically hit a rough patch, and bingo, they were dead, you know, killed in a very ignominious fashion. Um, and uh, that is very real for them. Uh, basically, they have to worry about their own military, who are worrying about you know their own skin. I mean, the, the generals, because there's not enough food to feed the soldiers the way they used to be fed. So the nuclear weapons are basically the last chance. And in North Korea, again, it's public policy. Everybody is told this. Nuclear weapons are going to save us. By save us, then that would just mean... They'll keep you know the 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 one percent alive and in power. <coughs> Excuse me, but they will basically bring in goodies. Now Trump is saying there's another way. There's a possibility we can do something. But you know this is going to be the the immovable uh, you know force the irresistible force meeting the immovable object because uh, Trump has made it clear that verifiable removal of nukes. Uh, is a, is absolutely you know bottom line uh, necessity for North Korea. If they do that, all good things will happen. Uh, apparently, we don't even nobody Maryland's keeping the Kim Dynasty in power. At least not you know going out of our way to, to remove them. Uh, uh, we're not going to coup proof them. We're not going to basically say, oh, we guarantee to go in there, send in you know special forces or. Or Marines or whatever to defend the Kims if they're they're under siege and they're in their in their uh, palace as it were, um, but we say we're not going to be you know uh, just plotting and scheming against you. Now that may not carry a lot of weight uh, because the uh, Kim Dynasty is famous for its paranoia, which is to a certain case justified, but it, it does tend to go a little overboard. So they feel nukes are the only way now. The thing is, the North Koreans have tested a successful nuclear design, but it is highly unlikely that they could deliver one right now, uh, except in a cargo ship or that's about it, you know, plant one by the DMZ and set it off. And the Chinese have uh, <clears throat> basically told them that that is unacceptable. No playing around with nukes, which leaves the sex, number two uh, risk in the world, and that's Pakistan. Pakistan made a deal with the devil, so to speak, in the 1970s. The military basically set up a secret, not so secret anymore, uh, uh, support for uh, Islamic terrorist organizations that would basically carry out uh, terror attacks in Afghanistan, mainly in Afghanistan and India. They've done it in a few other countries as well. Uh, But their main targets have been Afghanistan, and India, uh, in Afghanistan, the the, uh, the the basic idea was to uh, keep the country in chaos so they're easier to control. Uh, the Afghans do not appreciate that at all, but that's the way it is over there. Uh, India basically calls these attacks a, a you know an act of war, uh, and they more and more have been threatening to do something about it. Now, the problem in Pakistan is 
until 19, uh, 2014, they had a serious problem with rogue, as it were, uh, Islamic uh, terror groups inside of Pakistan who had declared war on Pakistan for not being you know, Islamic enough. Now, they don't actually have strict Sharia law like they do in, um, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there are a lot of minorities, not a lot, a few percent, you know, Christians, uh, you know, Hindus, uh, Sikhs, what have you. Twenty uh, percent of the population in, um, in Pakistan is Shia, which is uh, anathema for a lot of your any, in fact, I guess all of your uh, uh, Sunni Islamic radical groups. Um, and uh, basically the, the government in their in their infinite uh, lack of wisdom, had allowed one uh, province uh, on the on the Afghan border, North Waziristan, to be basically a sanctuary for all these groups. Well, that there were more and more attacks inside Pakistan. Public opinion, you know, basically, people aren't stupid, as the saying goes, and they they knew that basically it was because of North Waziristan, and that place was basically a sanctuary because the army wouldn't go in there even though the civilian elected governments had asked them, ordered them even several times, but the army doesn't take orders from politicians. Uh, so in 2014, they finally went in. Uh, they're still fighting, but basically they ran most of them out, and the, the terror attacks, the deaths from terrorism, have gone down you know, by uh, more than 50% uh, uh, ever since. In fact, this year might be a record year where they'll have fewer than 1,000 deaths, maybe as low as 600 in Pakistan uh, from uh, terrorism-related attacks. Uh, that's unprecedented. But the problem is, and the current head of the, uh, the uh, Pakistani Armed Forces uh, has come out and agreed with this. He says, says that Islamic radicalism in the Pakistani army is a growing problem. Now, he could not, this guy, you know, he's not basically playing politics per se. He apparently is on the level. He doesn't want the military to lose its prestige, its big chunk of the budget, etc., etc. But he is recognizing the fact that uh, uh, more and more senior officers in the Pakistani military are basically Islamic terrorists. I mean, they believe in Islamic terrorism. Um, now, the, the Pakistani military has managed over the years to keep these people uh, away from the nukes. And we actually helped them, uh, you know, uh, put in, you know, security, uh, you know, uh, controls for their nuclear weapons uh, and gave them advice on how to, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, screen people and and, you know, and both the United States and the Pakistani military knew what we were talking about. We weren't talking about, you know, traitors. We were talking about, you know, uh, Islamic radicals, uh, officers. Uh, who, and many of them are basically quite open about their their their, their religious, you know, beliefs and fanaticism. Uh, but what uh, the, uh, the current leadership in the military, Pakistani military is concerned about is – Senior people who have kept it quiet or basically have not ever, you know, been uh, Islamic radicals, but might suddenly flip because, you know, that's the danger that some of these nuclear weapons get out. Now, they've got these these passive action links, this this weapon security. Um, but, you know, if if a, if the Islamic terror group gets a hold of one of these weapons, it's the probability of, of cracking that security is there. It, it becomes a real issue. Um and uh, 
that is a is a real you know risk. The Iranians, if they ever got it, they'd have a similar problem, which is probably one reason why there was a lot of Iranians, even in the leadership, the religious. Well, actually, this is a fact. This is not you know supposition on my part. Uh, many senior uh, clerics in the uh, religious dictatorship that's been running Iran since the 1980s have uh, been outspoken about the uh, the support that the government gives to uh, basically Islamic radical groups like the Quds Force, which whose job is basically to set up um, uh, uh, covert operations in foreign countries to kill Israelis or anybody else. For a long time, they were killing dissident uh, Iranians. Uh, but that became so unpopular that they found that they were you know, basically becoming banned uh, from many uh, countries that they, they, they long uh, felt were, were somewhat friendly to them, like in Europe. Um, so, you know, the, the real risk right now is not uh, Vladimir Putin saying, we will use our nukes. I mean, <laughs> they've had them since the end of the Cold War. They still follow the treaty terms, um, but they know that it'd be suicide. Uh, you know, the uh, United States and Russia both have enough to wipe each other out many times over, which has always been a problem. Uh, you know, China's more reasonable. I mean, they could basically make their point with a with a hundred or so warheads delivered to uh, key Russian targets. You know, why make a mess of the world? You know, just to settle some you know political dispute. Um, but uh, the country you have to worry about are the bad actors. I mean, that brings us up to Israel, who basically. Is, from all the evidence available, has nukes. They've apparently never tested them, although that is in dispute, because South Africa, which basically back, you know, dis- dis- disabled, disbanded their nuclear program, they apparently, uh, or might well have, uh, tested a warhead, which was detected, uh, you know, from uh, from from a, a satellite, you know, sensor, uh, uh, off the coast of South Africa in the 1980s. And uh, this was now they had been developing nuclear weapons again with the help of the Israelis. You know, they were both, you know, both pariah states in many respects. And they said, all right, I'll help you. You help me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that ended, you know, once the uh, the uh, they got rid of the apartheid and, and full democracy. But the uh, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't basically, you know, dismiss their nuclear arsenal, which may be as many as 100 uh, nuclear weapons, uh, because the Israelis have Israelis more than anybody else have every reason to have nukes that they can expect to work. They have their own ballistic missiles. They have uh, submarines that can launch cruise missiles, which can carry uh, uh, nukes. Uh, and they make no mistake. You know, you attack us, make uh, you know, with nukes, we will retaliate. And they're basically directing that at Iran and anybody else who gets added to that list, maybe Turkey. Now, getting. More interesting, uh, South Africa was the only country that create their own nuclear weapons that got rid of them. There were three others that had nukes and voluntarily surrendered them. These were countries of the former Soviet Union, which basically became independent after the Soviet Union fell apart. And of course, the, the deal was you had whatever Soviet assets uh, in your territory, they now belong to you. Now, unfortunately, that meant there was a lot of nuclear warheads in Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and Belarus. Uh, there was a treaty 
uh, most of them were in Ukraine and Kazakhstan. Uh, they made deals, you know, money exchanged hands, et cetera, et cetera. And in the West, mainly the United States paying for this, uh, to uh, basically go in and examine and remove and supervise the disassembly and destruction of these weapons. Um, and that apparently worked, except <laughs> the, uh, the deal that the Ukraine signed with the, the new Russian Federation was that in return for surrendering these, uh, these nukes, the Russian Federation uh, uh, agrees to never uh, basically uh, take any Ukrainian territory. So we know how that worked out. Uh, the uh, the other category is the wannabes. Now this is an interesting list because you know uh, some characters are not mentioned on it, but should be. Now Iran, obviously, uh, Iraq, the the Israelis, uh, you know, very famously or publicly bombed their nuclear program. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, Libya again. They they basically hadn't gotten very far, but they publicly uh, abandoned their research, allowed inspections to take place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, but there were some others. Uh, for example, Sweden, which admitted they did the planning and they probably could have done it. Uh, there was Argentina, which at one point had a plan, but they had other economic and political problems, so that didn't go far. Um, but one that doesn't get much publicity, and I know this from personal experience, Turkey had a nuclear program. At least they tried to. They were recruiting Turkish nuclear physicists, and I knew one of them, uh, who lived outside the country. Uh, and uh, they were serious about this in the 1970s. They eventually gave up, mainly under pressure from the United States. They said, look, if you want NATO support to guarantee your territory against Russian Soviet aggression, you got to drop the nukes. Uh, same approach was used with uh, South Korea and to a lesser extent with Japan. Now, South Korea, because they were living under our nuclear umbrella, uh, and we not only protected them from North Korea, but also from China, and, and technically from Japan, but that was more for political, domestic politics. Japan is still considered the big bad. Um, they, uh, they basically, you know, backed off, but they could. Uh, uh, the other one now, the, the, the could, so to speak, includes South Korea, includes Taiwan, includes Germany, not likely, but hey, they had the technology, they could do it. And most famously or infamously, Japan, where it's been an open secret that Japanese could, if they you know, uh, wanted to, have nukes in very short order. A, because they, their nuclear program uh, generated a lot of plutonium, a big they had the, the nuclear, you know, material for uh, nuclear weapons. But secondly, they were the most advanced engineering, you know, uh, entity in, in, the, in East Asia. And they still are. Uh, all the China's catching up. Um, and the joke was, uh, apparently during a press conference with the prime minister, uh, well, some reporters said, you know, it's been said that Japan could develop and test and have nuclear weapons in six months. And the prime minister turned to him and said, yeah, it might take that long. So the um, that might be apocryphal, but basically it, it reflects the reality that an advanced nation, if they have access to the nuclear material, which many of them do because of nuclear power, uh, and they have the engineering and scientific capabilities and the right political conditions, as it were, they could very rapidly have nukes. And that's what bothers China. 
about the North Korean situation because they're not so much concerned about North Korea because they know North Korea is basically a, a poverty-stricken, you know, uh, uh, dysfunctional dictatorship, uh, a dynastic one. At, at, you know, a uh, you know, basically, it, it's a dynasty, the Kim dynasty. Uh, uh, the biggest fear of uh, China has for North Korea is not getting nuked, but getting hit with millions of uh, starving uh, refugees from uh, North Korea. Um, the, uh, uh, the the real threat uh, is countries that basically say they want to basically use it or, or can't control what they have, and that includes basically you know Iran and Pakistan. Uh, they don't get much publicity because they go out of their way, you know, not to talk about it. I mean, Iran says we haven't got them. But again, <coughs> Iran has the nuclear material. They have the engineering skill. That's what bothers their, the, the, um, uh, the Arabs. Uh, the, the, uh, the Iranians have always been, how should I put it, more clever, whatever, you know, more adept. Uh, in the uh, in the sciences and, and engineering or what have you than the Arabs, um, and partly that's because until the 1980s, uh, the well even even after the 1980s, the Iranians never let uh, Islamic ideology limit uh, what they could do scientifically. The Arabs did. That's why you know, people talk about oh, what about what the Arabs did during the Middle Ages when they basically you know preserved ancient knowledge and passed it on to Europe. But the question you got to ask, what have they done since the Middle Ages? And the answer is nothing, mainly because uh, they've had this problem for over a thousand years now uh, with nuclear, uh, with Islamic uh, radicals, conservatives, basically saying, you know, uh, modern technology uh, is bad. Uh, We are more Islamic than now. uh, And anything foreign is bad. Uh, and it must be stamped out. Now, this is basically crippled, you know, um, uh, not just scientific growth, but democracy, any number of things in the Arab world. But until recently, it was something you couldn't even discuss. Uh, in fact, in some Western countries, it's still against the law. I mean, you can be prosecuted for, for pointing this out, but it's a historical fact. Even the Arabs recognize it uh, and talk about it. Uh, probably more openly in Arabic <laughs> than in a lot of European countries, a lot of Western countries do. But, you know, there it is. Uh, so that's why Pakistan is such a problem, because they're one, again, they are ethnically similar to the uh, to the Iranians, uh, Indo-European people. Uh, they they never let until, you know, uh, the, uh, the 1970s, when the military adopted, you know, Islamic radicals, did their dirty work for them. They never had a problem. With uh, you know uh, Islamic conservatism, now they do. It's their own fault. Well, it's the military's fault. But again, that's another story. See our regular coverage strategy page, and you'll you'll get a, a an idea about uh, how that is proceeding. Um, but that's basically the problem. Uh, it's not the countries that have a lot of nuclear weapons who have had them for a long time that are a problem. It's the ones who are unstable. And that's why. Take a look at Pakistan. Oh, by the way, Saudi Arabia has made it clear several times that if Iran gets nukes, they will get them, as I describe it, by a purchaser lease. They have the money. They have the connections. Uh, Pakistan is very dependent on Saudi Arabia for all sorts of, you know, monetary uh, assistance. Um, And they've had this mutual, you know, relationship, uh, mutual 
how should I put it, dependency for a long time. Uh, and so the Packies would have a hard time saying no. Uh, so there you go. Uh, it's it's always religion. Religion right. or basically, or, you know, poverty, but that's another story. Right. So we'll keep our eyes on those uh, unstable countries and we'll keep our... Uh Readership Fingers crossed. Right. And our readership updated. Thanks a lot, Jim. Okay. Bye.